We need to tend to your flesh as best we can, as it can't tend to itself anymore. Welcome back to Decrypted, Ars Technica's podcast about the television that we're obsessed with. Right now, we're watching American Gods. I'm Annalee Newitz. I'm the tech culture editor at Ars Technica. And my guest this week is Paula Gatos. She's the editor-in-chief of the Tokusatsu Network, which you can find at toku.net. It's a website about Japanese special effects and sci-fi. Paula is also a librarian, which gives her special powers. And I'm glad to have her on this episode because we've noticed a lot of tokusatsu influence on some of the style in American Gods. So we're going to talk about that as well as this entire crazy episode. So let's get started. This was kind of an insane episode. And this was Laura's episode, basically. Mm -hmm. The first time that we've gone kind of away from basically following Shadow. We've had little moments where we've kind of been away from his point of view, but this was just 100% Laura. And she's very different from how she is in the novel. And I'm really curious to know, what did you think about the changes that they made in her character? I really loved it, honestly, because I remember when I first read the novel, Laura was just kind of a footnote in the background. Like for me, what was more interesting was following the gods. And even though she had a big role to play in the whole scheme of things, like her as a person and as and her motivation wasn't really that interesting or clear to me in the novel so being able to see a 100% focus on who Laura is why she does what she does and kind of what her motivation is and just like really laser focus on her was added so much layer and st- like really just juicy stuff that you love hearing about when you're you're trying to learn about a person, uh, especially knowing that she'll play a bigger part down the line. Yeah, and she actually, to be fair, in the novel, she does have a pivotal role. I mean, she's mm-hmm. basically, she becomes a superhero and she, she becomes mm-hmm. sort of Shadow's bodyguard. And so I liked that in the novel. I liked the fact that she became this kind of avenging badass. And mm-hmm. I felt like in this version of Laura, well, we can start at the beginning, which is we find out in the novel, she works at an airline. And in the show, she works at a casino. And the casino is Egyptian themed. So I love that. Yeah, that was actually that was beautiful, because it really gave us that sense of why Anubis was on her tail. You know, why, Mm -hmm. why did Anubis come for her? It's like, well, because she didn't believe in anything except this place that she worked at. And she becomes, there's two things about her. One is, okay, I, and I actually want to get your feedback on this because the first <laughs> time I watched this episode, I really hated it. The second time, a lot less so. And the thing I hated about it was I felt like they just made her into a psycho bitch and that she was insane and suicidal and mean. So not that she was like mentally ill and we kind of could empathize with her, but that she was just screwed up. And, you know, we open with that scene of her being a jerk, basically, and then going home and trying to kill herself in this really horrible kind of incompetent way. And I just, I was like, great. Okay, so you gave us a lot more of this female character, but she's this terrible person. And I I don't know, like, what did you think about that whole thing where suddenly now she's this, you know, totally different person? I I really like that actually because I it was I for me it was meant that was intentional you're meant to really not like her in the big area thing she's just this mean bored psycho 
<laughs> who was all just so bored with her life that anything to make it more interesting by being a terrible person is better than what she's dealing with having a really crappy job uh dealing with really crappy like people i guess and so but the whole thread that i saw but i what i like about that show is that it it does bring me around with it it's like you could see kind of threads of where who she was like at the, at the bottom of it all, she's kind of, to me, the person who has, like, zero nonsense. Like, she doesn't care. She has no nonsense for everything. Whatever life has thrown at her, she's kind of be like, okay, this is really crappy, but I'll deal with it the way I have to deal with it, which is just kind of live one day at a time. So when she finally died and she kind of becomes a different person in which, like, oh, you know what? I get it. I was a really crappy person. Maybe I could make this up to the one person who was actually nice to me and saw something in me that was, you know, worthwhile, meaning Shadow. I get it. I'm there with her. But she still brings that no-nonsense attitude with her in that, okay, my arm just fell off. What do I have to do? Um, <laughs> my my husband's about to die. What am I going to do? And, and she just kind of like rolls with everything, every crappy thing that happens to her, even after death. Luckily, after death, there's one part of it's like, well, it can't get worse now. I might as well try to make it up to that one guy that I know. Yeah. No, and I really true. like that. Yeah, and I, I mean, we can get to it in, in a second, but the scene where she's trying to sew her arm back on, I love that. The dialogue is great. It's super well written. Oh, my gosh. Perfect yeah, Audrey. humor. I know. Audrey was so fantastic. And so the other thing about her being given this job in the casino and kind of given this new personality where she is, I totally agree. She's super pragmatic and no nonsense, as well as being kind of a screwed up, self-sabotaging yeah. jerk. And But she becomes the architect of the theft that sends mm-hmm. Shadow to prison. Uh, again, unlike in the novel where it's really his screw up and he she's just kind of screwed up. You know, her life is screwed up along the way. I mean, he really screws her life up. And in this, it's reversed. No doubt that she screws his life up because we have this great montage where he's getting his life together. He stopped being mm-hmm. a thief. He's like kind of, you know, he's going to go work in Robbie's gym or whatever. He's happy. Yeah, he's super happy. He loves her for whatever reason. And uh, and I think partly because of the no-nonsense thing that, you're, that you brought up, that that's something they have in common. But, ha- I mean, I feel like it really changed their relationship to have that reversal and to have it be basically her fault that he's in prison. Yeah, I think so too, which which kind of makes sense to me in that she's trying to make that up after she realized she's dead already. And so uh, what I like too about the way the story gets told, like you said, it's like it, it gives a reason for Anubis to be there. And I like that they drop Anubis's whole story the episode before that so that when it shows up in Laura's story, it's nothing new. Like, oh, this makes sense. Why Anubis would be there in the first place. What I like is that now that she realizes she's kind of hit rock bottom and that the only place for her to go is for that one really crappy way, that one really dark place, the hot tub for her, that's the, her darkest, darkest place. Yeah. And the fact that she basically tells Anubis fuck you <laughs> before she gets brought back. I think it was probably that moment when she realizes that her heart is going to be heavier than that, that the only place for her to go is the most rock bottom, rock bottom that she can get. And then she suddenly literally plucked from the afterlife and kind of given this lucky chance 
with the coin and bring her back to life, it's like, okay, I'm here. I might as well make this up. And so that flip at that moment when she tells Anubis to go, go fuck off, is yeah. I think is that's where the good flip for me is. I'm like, okay, I get it. That's when she gets it. You know what? No. There is nowhere else for you to be. Well, I'm not getting in there. I want to go back. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because I feel like before that point, when we've seen her relationship with Shadow, it also kind of makes Shadow's character different from in the novel as well, because mm-hmm. he seems like a little bit of a chump. I mean, it is for love. And I mean, all of us have done dumb things uh, for people that we were hot for. So right. whatever. He's just <laughs> he's just one <laughs> in a long line of people who did that. But he, he seems a bit chumpy. He also revels a lot more in his identity as a criminal, which in the novel, we know he's, you know, we know he's basically kind of a small time crook. And that part of his life is not really dealt with very much in the novel. And so here we get a chance to see kind of who he was before he pulled himself together because he loved her so much. And so I think the thing that initially really annoyed me about this episode, like I said, was A, you know, just the fact that I didn't like that Laura had to be this evil person, but also it made their relationship seem just really screwed up. And Mm -hmm. in the novel, I feel like it's much more, yeah, it's not a perfect relationship, but it's much more, it felt more maybe realistic or less kind of beyond the pale. And in here, it's almost like, I don't know, shades of Bonnie and Clyde or something like that. And <laughs> well, I, I think it's like two people, two toxic people just met each other and just kind of melded with how, you know, toxic their personality is. I guess with Shadow, Shadow, one of the things about Shadow as a character is that he actually has a personality in the show as opposed to in the novels where he's just like, you know, I'm a small, he may be a small time crook, but he kind of essentially just kept his head down and got by with whatever he got by with. And so in the show, him having like this kind of, yeah, like you said, like he's, he's basically a chump, like this huge personality. He knows he's hot. Come on. (laughs) Yeah. Ricky (laughs) Whittle knows he's hot. (laughs) Yeah. That kind of swag when he was, you know, flipping the, the, trying to con the casino with the sleight of hand in front of yet another con essentially with the way that, and the, what I like is that it is very, you're right. It's very Bonnie and Clyde, but I feel like they kind of deserved each other. So you show that she would like the whole sleight of hand with her, with the different cards Mm -hmm. and how annoyed she was that she had to use an automated card system to distribute the cards. So I guess for her, that felt like something had, it was probably the last straw in what piece of control she can have in her life. Maybe her shuffling those cards might've been like her weights. Like, okay, this is the only thing I can control in my life. Everything else sucks. Like I suck, but this is the only thing I'm good at. I make good, I'm good the word good at something. And so when Shadow shows up, they kind of connect in that shuffling of cards, that kind of thing, which for me is really understandable. It's like, okay, I get that. They kind of deserve each other. (laughs) And interestingly, as you were pointing out, when she meets Anubis and there is this kind of transformation, you know, it really sets her on a redemption arc. And it kind of makes... Shadow's arc feel more like a redemption arc too, Mm -hmm. which I hadn't thought about before this episode because he's kind of just been just dragged along. You know, he's, he's had this horrible thing happen and then Wednesday shows up and, you know, he kind of 
lucks into getting a lucky coin and Mm -hmm. you know he's not really driving himself around literally and now yeah it does sort of feel like with that turn we do get a sense of what his motivation might be what her motivation is I mean his motivation was always like love or whatever which is (laughs) dumb you know I mean no that's a that's a silly you know, whatever. Anyone can be motivated by love and, and that's right. kind of a, the cheesiest of motivations. But having a redemption arc, which again, arguably could be very cheesy, at least it gives you a kind of structure for what, what's going to be coming next and, and yeah. what, what their connection to each other might be. Okay, so let us talk about what comes next. So Anubis says, I'm here to take you to the dark place and she's like fuck you she is transplanted i assume that that's the moment when shadow drops the lucky coin on her yeah grave, right yeah the big the big sun in the sky just kind of like goes in and plucks her out yeah and so and we still don't know why the coin worked that way or anything like yeah that. I'm, I'm waiting for that <laughs> yeah we're hopefully we'll find out i mean i don't i don't think we ever find out in the novel but that doesn't matter because we've actually so diverged from the novel that it's almost silly to even to to even bring it up at this point so then she climbs out of the grave and she rescues shadow and then what's the deal there like why do you think she's not just immediately like hey i'm here i saved you like what what's going on there well i wanted to talk about this particular scene of when she saves shadow from the children because like for me especially as a tokusatsu fan was really really interesting because the children are if anybody has seen power rangers you kind of understand the whole putty bad guy faceless goons kind of thing yeah and it's clearly like also a a shout out to clockwork orange but for me as a toku fan like i'm used to seeing mooks of the week or mooks of the series in in these things so like seeing laura zombie laura fight the children was very reminiscent of kind of undead laura makes me feel like kind of it's a female revenge story aesthetic like lady snowblood or kill bill for that matter Uh especially of her just punching through the grave or not even punching through, but it's like oh, like going, crawling out of the grave was reminiscent of that scene from Kill Bill 2, uh-huh. where it's the bride coming out and just sitting down and, and coming out of her grave. And so it was very, that gory revenge story, it's gory, it's straightforward, and it kind of, for me, speaking of Laura's no-nonsense personality, that's when it kind of shines through. It's like, oh, hey, there's somebody I care about, I'm going to save them. Just like if her first instinct was to punch the children and as soon as she realizes that she can punch through them, that whole fight scenes happened. And for me, it's really interesting because there's a current show that's happening right now on in Japan, ironically from Amazon Prime Video. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. And it's called Common Writer Amazons, plural. And it's basically this reimagining of an original Kamen Rider series called Kamen Rider Amazon back in the mid-70s. That particular show has a reputation of being really, really violent because it has a jungle animalistic theme and where like this kid gets lost in the Amazon jungle and he kind of transforms to fight all these demons. So there's a lot of like ripping of monster bodies and a lot of maiming <laughs> and like blood flying everywhere. And so the remake show that was streaming last year, the second season is streaming now, is kind of a reimagining of that take where it's a virus in which the heroes use a transformation device to activate that virus and become heroes and fight these monsters. And 
it has a lot to do with trying to figure out what it means to be human. What does a dead body, is that still human? Because there's a lot of like dead body, like reanimated dead bodies in that show. And so seeing undead Laura fight these faceless goons, the children, in like this big, gory, maiming blood everywhere was like, am I watching Kamen Rider Amazons right now? Is this, is this what's happening? And so that was really interesting just to see. Like that aesthetic was most people might feel a little turned off by that aesthetic. But for me, I'm like, oh, oh, I get it. This She is the hero of this show in terms of saving Shadow. And I think the fact that she didn't just tell him like, hey, it's me. I'm, I'm the one that saved you. She might being recently reanimated still feel that guilt like I'm still a shitty person. I don't want him to see this ugliness that I am right now. And that's also reminiscent in those past tokus, darker tokusatsu series because they feel kind of ashamed that what the kind of scary power that they have, just being able to tear these monsters apart. It's a kind of like, how, am I still a person? Am I still human? That I can still have all these powers. And that's something that past tokusatsu shows have asked for a while. So again, as a tokusatsu fan, seeing that scene in particular was super, super reminiscent of the stuff that we regularly watch on Japanese superhero television. Yeah, it's so true. And I feel like that scene is definitely shot to look like anime. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, the blood is this kind of unrealistic red. It's in shadow. It's very similar to the scene in the first episode where Mm -hmm. the Vikings come to North America, basically. And I, I feel like... There's a lot of touches like that in the show. Do you see other toku stylings in in these episodes that you've watched so far? Not so far, but it wasn't until this moment that I realized, oh, it is just like that first episode where it's fighting, maiming, killing, gore. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And yeah, it wasn't until this episode that I saw that, like I said, the kind of female revenge story aesthetic that you see from Lady Snow movies like Lady Snowblood and Kill Bill, which was inspired by, you know, Japanese samurai films and yeah. revenge films and things like that. Again, it's that straightforward. This is just what I have to do to like kind of fulfill a duty or like make up for to regain honor and things like that. And in terms of again, Laura, if the moment she insulted Anubis is the moment that the lucky coin gives her that second chance, then her kind of like having supernatural powers in this sense kind of fits into that regaining, kind of seeking forgiveness and regaining honor. And it also fits that shame that she had. So that again explains why she didn't reveal herself to Shadow until the very end when she's finally prettied up. <laughs> yeah, it's so interesting. Also, you were making me think about the fact that in that scene, she's basically a kind of god fighting other gods. Mm -hmm. She's some kind of deity. I mean, I guess I always think of those children as techies. (laughs) Right. (laughs) They they belong to technical boys. Because they're they're like, in the episode where you meet them, they're basically like white techies. And uh, so I live in San Francisco, so I see a lot of white techies around. But they are, they're not gods, but they're like god henchmen. They're deities of some kind. And she's kind of become... In a weird way, a, a god henchman. I mean, by the end of the episode, which I we really need to talk about because I am so confused about <laughs> what the hell is happening by the end. You know, she really has become godlike. And this is not to keep bringing up the book, but this does happen in the book, but it's so much more explicit here. And right. like, I, I have to say, 
in that scene when she smacks the guy on the chin and knocks his skull and spine out of his head. It's such a great <laughs> triumphant so moment. It is. It's just and it's just beautifully shot and and gory in a way that's clearly intended to be fun and slapsticky as well as gross. Well, I was going to mention that speaking of her being kind of a god slash god henchman is that Shadow kind of deified her. Like, yes. Shadow, Laura is Shadow's goddess in the, in a way. Like he, again, I don't know what particular thing that made her so feel so good and, and he loved her so much to a point to say, like, I could be living in a cardboard box and there were freeway if it weren't, like, as long as I was with you. I mean, that's that's a lot. To excuse some of her, you know, terrible personality traits, that's, what what do you see in her? What are you doing? Yeah, we um, just don't ever find that out. And so, you know. Yeah, he just deified her for no reason, I feel. Like, yeah. it's like, is it just because, like, she was actually that hot chick that knows how, like, knows his tricks, too? Sometimes, like, you know, you have, if you're as cocky as someone like Shadow is, who knows he's good looking, who knows he has a bit of a sleight of hand thing, and who knows he can probably charm his way out of anything just by smiling. Yeah. <laughs> that the woman that he finds, he also finds attractive, can meet him toe to toe in that is that the only thing that's good about her so much that he like deified her in that sense like what is your deal shadow yeah i mean it's true and i think that the story hasn't really earned that yet like we haven't we they haven't really justified it and i think we are left to believe basically what you're saying that he's like wow it's the first woman who ever was my equal intellectually or mm-hmm. in, in craftiness. Um, and so he's just smitten by her. But in a sense, if she is on this kind of redemption arc, which she is, maybe she's, you know, justifying his love in that way. Maybe what we're yeah. seeing is what, what he did love in her, which is that she was this kind of steely, pragmatic non-believer who just gets things done. But I want to go into the scenes where she's, speaking of no nonsense, she's, mm-hmm. you know, she's missing an arm. And she's she's got to do something. She kind of goes home and showers up and has to figure out how to sew her arm on. And so she goes to Audrey's house. And the scene that follows is so different in tone than what we've seen up to that point. I mean, the episode starts in this really dark place with her suicide attempt, which is really like one of the grimmest suicide attempts I've seen in a while. And just because it feels so like desperate, and it's such a horrible way to try to die. And then suddenly it's like, zombie comedy or something? (laughs) (laughs) Zombie bridesmaids from like, you know, that moment really feels like I need to be watching this with my girlfriends from high school. And I went to an all girls high school. So this is like the moment for us where since I went to, you know, all girls schools all my life, it wasn't that kind of like female friendships where I can shout down in the middle of a crowded hallway, say, hey, does anybody have a tampon? Like <laughs> that kind of like you kind of get gross with each other because you're kind of, you know, you're all are going through the same things. And for the way that Audrey, Audrey to me is kind of like is, is basically the hero of that of those two scenes. She is the normie that reacts properly to everything that's going on around her. Hey, Audrey. Unlike Shadow, who's like, okay, fine, I'm just going to roll with it. It's fine. Audrey is how I would honestly react if something happened to her happened to me. 
Like that's exactly how I'd react <laughs> if I saw my undead best friend on my toilet. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Why are you here? <laughs> For me, she's that hero. Like it's just she's the normal person that reacts properly to what's going on around her. And her screaming and reminding us why Laura's there in the first place. It's like, oh, right, Laura was a terrible person. Don't forget she was a terrible person. And Audrey, I feel like Audrey was there to remind us of that. And also to kind of normalize what's happening to Laura as well. Because I think that that moment where, I love that moment where she's like, she's sitting on the toilet and I guess she's like pooping out embalming fluid, which is happening Uh to her kind of throughout the episode. And, you know, it is, like you said, it's like this kind of girls' school bonding where it's like, I'm, you know, I've got diarrhea and <laughs> I've got this really bad problem and I'm sorry that I cheated on your, with your, with your boyfriend and like, but, you know, can you help me with your sewing kit? <laughs> and, you know, and they kind of wind up, I feel like they do kind of wind up making up in a weird way, mm-hmm. you know, because the situation is so weird and extreme that what else are they supposed to do? And this kind of gets back to the next scene where, basically Anubis and the Jackal take control of Laura's body. Um, kind of, Yeah, it kind of reminds me of what you were saying about the scene where she's fighting the bad guys, where she's kind of ashamed of her body. There's like, is she really human or not mm-hmm. human? I'm just curious, what did you think about that whole scene? And also, what the heck is going on? So they take her in, like, why are they helping her? Like, what the heck? You're a small family-owned funeral home. What we provide is continuity. There's been an Ibis and Jack in business here for 200 years. I think before this, we were seeing that like Mr. Wednesday and I'm trying to figure out where it lands in the timeline because if it lands after Mr. Wednesday had talked to Anubis and, and I'm guessing that's taught. Yeah. Then for me, maybe Mr. Wednesday had, you know, Anubis had mentioned to Mr. Wednesday about Laura or Mr. Wednesday knew about Laura and mentioned it to them probably in a it's like, hey, can you give like Shadow one more chance to talk to his wife? Mm-hmm. Like something seems wrong. Maybe give him one more chance. Maybe that's how this is. Yeah, you're right. This is kind of like where I got confused. It's like, how, why? I mean, if Anubis is after Laura just to get her back into the darkness, why is he helping her? And they help her in this very specific way that goes back to the the sort of toku plots that you were talking about, where it's like, it's her body that's the problem. Her zombified body needs to be transformed in order for her to function. Pins for the bones, threads for the muscles, paint for the skin. And even though they're not actually healing her, really, I mean, they're just, they say it's just maintenance. They're just making her look, they're basically giving her zombie makeover makeup or something (laughs) touch-ups yeah I mean they sew her up which is great and then they kind of spray paint her and it's kind of all wrapped up in this conversation about how they're doing this for her but then Anubis is basically like when this is all over you're mine which is I guess the same promise that Chernobog got out of shadow because he gets to bash his brains out at the end so now they both owe their lives to some god 
minor god of the past. And um, although Anubis is kind of a major god. And so I mean, not here in the U.S. That's that might be a thing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Although big in the casinos. (laughs) Mm, That's right. You know, up here in Northern California, there's a or in um, South Bay, there's a Fry's computer store that has an Egyptian theme that has some Anubis action in it. So awesome computer geek. You get to (laughs) worship. I'm 100 percent going there. The Fry's (laughs) the Fry's down here in SoCal. We have one that's alien theme. So we have alien invasion, like Mars attack theme for ours so it's pretty rad too (laughs) another thought i had was because anubis didn't take her heart to weigh properly i lived my life good and bad definitely not light as a feather that she just slammed her head. She kind of chose her own death, like chose her own afterlife. Yeah. Anubis didn't get a chance to, I guess, fairly or properly weigh her sins or weigh her heart against the feather. I shouldn't say sins because it's just, it's supposed to be just be action. It's not really necessarily whether you did good or bad. It's just how, how were your actions in life? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but it was Laura who just went, I know. And, you know, I know that it's going to be a lot heavier. So he didn't give that chance. So maybe by helping her and allowing her to kind of go through a redemption arc, maybe that might be his way. It's like, okay, I'm giving you another shot. And when I'm done with you, I'm going to take that heart out and weigh it properly and finally do this the proper way. Yeah. And maybe by her actions, it's still up in the air whether these gods are really out there looking for humanity or whether they're just looking out for themselves. But Either or, if he's looking out for her, then that might be a good thing that he's letting her add some, you know, lightness to her heart. And if he isn't, then maybe this journey for her might also give him some satisfaction and make a bigger sacrifice of taking that heart. Yeah, because if he, I mean, the whole goal of all these gods is to have more people who believe in them and who kind of act out the things that they think of as worship, right? And Mm -hmm. worship is different for the different gods. Like for Bilquis, you know, worship is sex. And for Anubis, worship is allowing him to weigh your heart on the scales. And so maybe that is what he's seeking. I mean, that's certainly one of the things we talked about last week was the fact that he seemed to be almost tricking a Muslim woman into, you know, going through his death ritual or his afterlife ritual and Mm -hmm. she's kind of confused she's like what why are you here (laughs) and um and he's like oh well uh when you grow up you heard about me right (laughs) (laughs) and we're just supposed to sort of accept that and so I think Mm -hmm. that he is kind of on the prowl for people you know and in this case yeah if she's kind of like a deity or some kind of demigod character then that might be a bigger sacrifice for him right Um, it's a juicier heart wasn't as soon as he gets it if he lets her go through this yeah. yeah, and I assume that, so the show has been renewed for another season, so mm-hmm. she could conceivably figure out some way to stay alive, or that could be part of the, you know, the end of the the series would be her kind of grappling with the heart weighing <laughs> scene. But in general, I loved the idea that she escaped from death in that way that was so just kind of like well fuck you and even though <laughs> even though she, partly she does that because she screwed up but like I do think it's it's a neat example of how kind of the worst parts of her are also the best parts of her so other stuff about the episode I know Audrey is is for me the kind of the underdog so far of this episode again of the way and she reacts but also 
I didn't know that Dane Cook was in this episode or this ser- series. And the fact that Dane Cook was Robbie was like, oh, man, Dane Cook. Awesome. <laughs> He's the shitty next door neighbor. OK, <laughs> this adds a fantastic layer. Um, if you're familiar with Dane Cook's comedy and kind of like that super like masculine bro type and the fact that he's just Robbie, like the crappiest of bros sleeping with your wife like yeah. archetype. I'm like, oh, of course it's Dane Cook. This is as juicy as he can get. Yeah, he was very well cast. And actually, it was interesting rewatching the episode and her and kind of her point of view on why she starts the affair and stuff like that. I thought it was kind of more forgivable. Like I said, oh, she's such a jerk. She's such a bitch. And this time I was like, well, I kind of get it. This is a guy she doesn't care about that much. Her cat just died. Like, I'd be that I'd be that upset. It's like, yeah. Ugh. Oh, and it was so horrible, too. Like the way, you know, just finding the cat and everything. And then but then she keeps going like, you know, we see her trying to say no. And then she doesn't have the willpower to say to keep saying no. I guess I felt like in a weird way, it was kind of the best sort of affair that she could have because it really was with a dude that she didn't. It was not like she was going to run away with him. And it did indeed start purely because she was just so, you know, she's messed up, understandably. Right. And then I think she just kept going. because She's like, well, it's a fun diversion. You know, this guy is not going to really challenge my relationship with Shadow. And even though he kind of does try to at, right before they die, he's kind of like, come on. And she's like, no. except well for this one last time which will kill us so right Um, and I think it's really for me again it's important for to kind of thinking about like she was bored like throughout the whole thing all she has been before she died was just bored and the way that what I really like about this show is that the way that Gaiman writes a lot of his stories feels really visceral he's just really good at just like that visceral description Mm -hmm. especially when he was talking about the way Laura had when Laura got gets her life back is like throwing up like embalming fluid and all the really just gross stuff that she has to go through. He's really good at describing how just that visceral reaction and kind of the same way the show is shot with the music and you just see them from day to day. It really just shows how bored she was. And it's really understandable that like having the affair just means like she it's just one thing like marrying Shadow and having the affair was just a way for her to get over that boredom. Yeah. Which doesn't make her a better person, but it's it's like, OK, I get it. It actually kind of makes me hate her even more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's supposed to be that way. I think we're meant to be that way. She's not the greatest person. She's really, really shitty. At the same time, who else is going to be protect? She gets to be superhero bodyguard to Shadow. And I like that the audience has to deal with like the crappiest person being your only last hope and I've been actually watching DS9 for the very first time and I deal with that a lot like ah he's a really crappy like he's like a really Capricardassian like Quark is awful but he's our last hope what are you gonna do (laughs) (laughs) that's what I love about DS9 is it is about flawed characters and they are always bumbling around and doing stupid things that they would never have done on Picard's Enterprise But I think for something like American Gods, that idea of flawed characters is kind of built into the genre. I mean, it's a horror gothic story. Mm -hmm. So unlike in science fiction, where there is a tradition of the kind of pure hearted or pragmatic kind of get things done hero in horror, it's almost always the case that your hero is at least ambiguous, if not 
kind of crappy or downright evil. And, you know, you can they certainly can be very sympathetic. I've read so many good horror novels with sympathetic, evil main characters. But, you know, you you never go into a horror novel thinking like there's going to be, you know, some super (laughs) competent person who just wants to do the right thing. Like here in the middle of this story, (laughs) you know, maybe occasionally in Stephen King stories. But even then, the person turns out to have some like dark fixation or some evil dog or something. My complaint about this episode initially was basically I should just shut up because this is kind of what horror does, right? Is it reminds you that people who are crappy can be redeemed, but also can do good stuff and that, you know, nobody is really perfectly good, which is annoying for me as a science fiction fan. But those feelings are valid. And namely just because you're meant to feel that way. That's that's the comfort I get. Like you're meant to feel that, ugh, did it have to be Laura to be the hero of this story? All right, fine. She's shitty, but fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, and I think you're right that she is the hero in this episode, at least. And she's certainly, you know, I mean, she's the reason why Shadow survives. So she really is kind of helping him to survive so that Wednesday can survive, which actually might not be a great thing to be doing, but okay. <laughs> well, may, we, she and we may not know that yet, that yeah. as an audience, so it's, it's I good. I think we it, have our suspicions that Wednesday yeah. <laughs> is not really up to any kind of good stuff. Like, hmm. What are the possible good things that Wednesday could be up to? <laughs> uh. <laughs> I'm just trying to think, like, um, well... Vikings are cool. Yeah, that's that's basically it. But I, what I like about her again is I think with her pragmatism, wherever this may go, I, as long as she kind of gets her redemption, just at least a relationship with Shadow, so that may, they have that conversation, which makes me really look forward to the next episode, whether they have that conversation in the next episode or not. But yeah, it really makes me look forward to that. If she gets that reconciliation between her and Shadow. Or maybe explain like may- why she was so crappy or what she did, what she did. Then I think it, it, I'm waiting. I think the payoff will be worth it. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I definitely want to have that payoff because I don't think that giving her the motivation of, oh, she's suicidal and bored, that's not enough of a motivation. I want to know like, well, yeah, but how did she get to be suicidal and bored? Like that's not, you know, there has to be something deeper than that Um, and we may never get that but it is definitely something that I was left wondering cool you've been listening to decrypted Ars Technica's podcast where we talk a lot about television like a lot and then we talk some more about all our feelings about television and right now we're watching American Gods which means we're going to be here for another four weeks discussing the new episodes as they come out with a special guest So be sure to keep watching the show and tune in next week.